Thank you guys so much. God's got big plans for you, Riley. You heard him. You heard him, Riley. Well, who's ready to study the Word? You can open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, I was looking to this Sunday, and I knew I had one Sunday in the midst of August, and so I have to kind of, it's, it's not all completely blindfolded, pick a spot in the Bible. But it was kind of an assigned scripture for the day, and I thought, well, let's just go and, and open this and dig in. And um, I don't know that if you've, if you've, I'm sure this is true, but if you've opened the Word and you start reading and you realize it's absolutely perfect custom fit for you, just right there. I mean, you just know it's, it was God had you in mind or something when you, when you read it. And how uh, it really ministers and speaks to you. That has so been the scripture for me today. And I know that um, it seems like he geared it for me. I'm sure he's geared it for many, many of us, all of us. Um, but considering the, the, the time, considering some of the things that the church has gone through, considering loss and grief, and um, this is a really important scripture. And so I really hope we can uh, internalize this and hang on to this scripture before we get, dig into it, let's pray that God would open our hearts and our minds. Let's, let's start off on the right foot here. Father, we're about to open your, your incredible gift to us, your word. It's been written and been handed down through so many generations. People have died for it, preserving it, and handing it down because it's, it has answers for us. And so, Father, we don't take this time lightly. Instead, we want to open wide our, our hearts to you. Let this word sink into us. Help us to apply and help us to hold on to you for time and eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little bit of context. Hebrews is a fantastic book. We don't know who the author is, but he was written to um, a group of uh, Christians that, that are Jews. And so they have a heritage. They have this past. They have all of the Old Testament uh, the prophets and people, patriarchs and things that they look back on and they hold on to. But the context the life in which they were living was a difficult one only because they had been in decades now into persecution. The church would gather, would, would worship together, they would, they would praise God together, and then something would ca- happen where somebody was going to squish out these Christians. And so it became a really, really trial, difficult time. And the Christians, some of them, some of these Christians, were revolt, re, uh, reverting back to old ways, but also some were abandoning altogether. And so the writer is hoping to grab a hold of their hearts to say, hold on a second, guys, do you remember what you know to be true? Do you remember what it is that you learned? Did you remember what people saw happen? And that is Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Some people, many, many people saw, and they knew. And some even touched his side and his hands. They saw the holes. We can't deny that this really happened. And so the writer is trying to, in, in, in a very passionate and powerful way, elevate Jesus as God. He is everything. He is life. He is sovereign. He was there in the very beginning. He's with us now. He will be there at the very end. So the whole point of this is to help the reader gain a godly perspective. The, the big, 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 big picture. And so this scripture is so, is so good, but he's going to give us a little bit of tools and reminders to help us so that we can have faith. And so 
we have this, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I think many of us have read the scripture before, but let me give you a few Greek terms here. Faith, or the word pistis, means belief, trust, or conviction of the truth. The next word I wanted to focus on, and we'll put them all together here in just a second, is confidence. Confidence is the word hypostasis, which means standing or understanding. It, has, it, was, it would be used in the context of a foundation. If you were to build a house, you'd lay down all this gravel, you'd build the big giant trench there, you know, you'd fill it all in, you would load it full of heavy, heavy concrete, and your house would be solid. It would be anchored on this really uh, importantly critical there foundation. One gal came up after church and she says, you want a little lesson in Greek? I said, yeah. I said, she says, that word there has to do with the foundation. But if you think about a foundation, a lot of the foundation is not seen. You may see a little bit of it. And she says, and so it is with our faith. There's a lot of things that, you know, in the depth of our life that the world may not see or understand. But yet at the same time, it's our anchor. It's our foundation. And it runs so deep as we hang on to the Lord Jesus. The last word there is assurance translated uh, from, from Greek. The word is elengos which means proof or evidence. And so if you put the whole thing together, it's this truth is our foundation for whatever comes later. But we know what that whatever is, right? It is proof even though we can't see. Uh, have you ever seen those books? They're called magic eye books. We got into them big time when we were kids. But it's, uh, it looks like uh, computer uh, like digital print, but you can't make out any particular image unless you hold the book just right, you tip it, you cross your eyes a couple of times, and you hold it, you do a little trombone with it, and all of a sudden you see the picture goes boom right there. And I had friends that would try this, and they could never do it. They were just, ah, you're kidding me. There's nothing there. This is just a lie. And I would say, no, it's right there. I can see it. I can see it. And it's a car. Can't you see? Or, you know, but it's just the same. We know it. We felt it. We've seen it. We've tasted of the goodness of God. I cannot be convinced otherwise. If that's you, so say amen. You hear hear all the voices. We know. We know that we know because I've seen it. I've tasted it. I felt his goodness. Though I didn't see him hang on a cross, though I didn't see him resurrect, we sense it in our hearts. There is no other way to say that if if you had known me years ago, you would say there's no way this guy is going to make any changes and going to make any progress in character and life or goodness. Uh, yeah, Wayne's laughing at me. It's true. I, 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 and I think many of my friends would all agree, it's only by the power of God that he transforms a heart. I once was here, and now I'm completely over here, and God is doing this work of changing me, and it's because of the, the light that he brings into our life. Say hallelujah. There we go. Verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. What are we talking about? We're talking about faith. This deep, deep conviction, this thing that we trust. It's even uh, translated substance. So it's this tangible thing, this faith. But it's our beliefs. And the, the ancients for time all the way back were all commended for it. Not for works, not for all their good deeds, but for faith. What is this thing? faith. So we're going to go down a little bit down memory lane here, and you'll see a lot of characters. Um, I'm hoping you really love the word because you're going to hear a lot of it today. 
But it says this, by faith, and that little section you can underline it if you have your Bible, but it happens, I, I believe, 24 times here. But by faith, through the things that they knew to be true, their conviction, the trust that they had, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Kind of an unusual way to start. But what is he saying? The point is, is that all of the things that you see, everything that is matter, all the, the world, the trees, all this stuff, was made by the invisible. He's very much alive, but he's spiritual. And so the spiritual spoke, and everything came into existence. And so he's saying, that you get the connection here, the, the spiritual is like the more real, the more powerful, the more authority, and the physical happened out of that. Verse 4, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by, excuse me, and by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So you remember the story. Abel's probably thinking in his heart, I love God, I'm going to bring him my best. Let me figure out what I'm going to do here, and he'll bring his best offering. And his brother thinks, ah, it's probably just a protocol. We need to do something for God, wherever he is, whatever he's doing. Let's do this. And offers less than. And you imagine what that looks like side by side, and they're offering the frustration it causes Cain when he looks over at his brother, and his brother is in worship offering something that God is accepting, that he knows it's cost him. And you imagine the friction that that causes. And so Cain kills his brother. Back at verse 4. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, here's the important part. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By his faith, by his action of offering a gift. Even though he can't see God, he's still offering his best. And the same is true for us. I can't see God, but I know that he's asking the best of me. I think he's asking, give your life, offer up all of it. Be sincere in your worship. His life still speaks because his faith is so powerful. I appreciate Abel's stance, even though it cost him. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. So without trusting in him, without looking for him, without looking into the future, it is impossible to please God. So you want to please God? You take up your faith. You take up your faith and what are we talking about? We're talking about looking into the future and say, I know my life is in his hands. I hang on that to that truth. I hang on to that truth. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. So your actions t- kind of tell a sermon. Your actions tell whether what you believe in and what you believe to be true. And we could analyze our lives and go, man, my, my life is either adding up and, sh- and promoting uh, the reality that is God is coming again or he... Or my actions are adding up to say, mm, he doesn't think he's coming back, that God is coming back. He doesn't think God's watching because it doesn't think God cares. And so verse 6 is so important if you haven't underlined that in your Bible. It's impossible to please God without faith because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If God exists, it changes everything. It changes everything. 
Verse 7, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Righteousness in keeping with faith, working in tandem. I, I absolutely love the story of Noah. Can you imagine if God said, hey, I'm going to have you spend the next 75 plus years working on a 500 plus foot boat and you won't even see the flood for you know, all these decades. You're going to have to work on this project. Can you imagine how many, because I lose focus after 30 minutes, maybe 30, three hours or something. I don't know. But you know, I know that I know that God has all these things for me. He's has a calling. He has all these things, but we're ready to just throw it in because either we're tired or we're weary. The circumstance is not so fair. And you imagine what Noah felt like for 75, over 75 years in working on this huge ark. Did that take a lot of faith? Enormous faith. And that's credited to him and honored by God, commended by God. And so verse 8, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went. Even though he did not know where he was going, uh, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as, uh, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled, to bear ch- was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, as he, as good as dead, came uh, descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand in the seashore. Just a little bit more. Hold on. Verse 13. All these people were living still by faith when they died. They did not receive the things they promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What are they looking forward to? And that was a mouthful. That was a lot of scripture. But what's the point? They're saying that all these people had the faith to be able to look and project way down the road to be able to say, I may not even enjoy all of these benefits. I may not even reap a lot of these things. Abraham is told by God, hey, I need you to leave your country. I need you to go on this adventure. I need you to do these things. Here's what you do. Here's where you settle. Uh, By the way, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. And he's going, well, I only have one. You think about even Jeremiah 29, 11. Everybody thinks, you know, that's a powerful verse that God has these plans for you. He has plans to prosper you. He has all these really wonderful things for you. But at the same time, if you go back, just one verse, it says that you're going to have to wait 70 years for the blessing. 70 years. And then he says, but, rem- but remember, I have plans for you. We're keeping our eyes on a big picture, eyes on eternity, heavenly minded kind of way. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. And I love this, verse 19, Abraham reasoned 
that God could even raise the dead. And so in a matter of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. What is incredible about that particular portion of Scripture is it's at the same exact mountain that Christ was crucified. So on the one hand, God has asked Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. And at the last minute, he says, time out, hold it, well done. You were going to follow through. You're going to be obedient. And then he responds by hundreds of years later, offering up his own son as a sacrifice and going through with it. What a powerful, what a powerful message. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when, he was in, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents uh, hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here's another verse to underline. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. What did that scripture just say about Moses? Who did he see coming? He saw Christ. And Christ hasn't yet been born, but he could see God's plan. He could see what Christ was about to do. He, re- he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Faith had totally led this guy through an enormous struggle. It led him to pain and it cost him so big, but Christ was worth it, even to Moses. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Verse 27, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land, and, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Faith built in them perseverance. Faith kept them close to the law. Faith called the people to even crazy things. Faith caused Rahab to betray, Rahab to betray her own people and even her own home. Faith can cost us enormously. And I think sometimes we imagine faith to be the fix it right here, right now. I believe it, I speak it, and so it comes. But it's not necessarily the case. Faith called these people to enormous difficulty and as they projected way out beyond. Verse 32, you're almost done. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning and they were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went into sheep skins and goat skins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. 
They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. What we're talking about there is, if you were to go back in time, about 170 B.C., 168, there was this huge uh, conflict in, in Jerusalem where this uh, horrible king, Antiochus Epiphanes, decides he's going to oppress and persecute all the Jews. And he's going to do that by, by murdering them, torturing them, causing them to eat uh, uh, foods that the Jews would not be allowed to eat. He's going to desecrate the temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar. He's going to force uh, prostitution into the temple. He's going to do everything he can to provoke the Jews and to kill the Jews as a, as a power struggle. And meanwhile, all the while, this guy is pushing these people to say, abandon your God, renounce your faith, turn, and I won't even hurt you. He's just trying to shame them and humiliate them. And what came to be interesting to this king is that he couldn't get him to do it. They held on to their faith all the way through this, even while being sawed in half and horrific things. You can look it up. They still remain faithful. Incredible. What was their aim? What were they looking for? What were they hoping to accomplish? What, were they, what did they see? They were seeing eternity. They were seeing the honor that God gives us when we roll right through persecution. They're counted amongst the faithful that God approves, that he gives a thumbs up. Verse 39, they were all commended for their what? They were all commended for their faith, the fact that they trusted that they knew what was coming. Yet none, none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would be made perfect. What is the most important thing I want to hear in my entire life? Sum it all up, all the days, what is the most important thing that I have to, I have to hear? Otherwise, it's all lost. Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you this, and you were faithful. And you rolled right through it without, without throwing in the towel. And I can't think of a more, ugh, I'm going to fall apart if I do, if I, if I break. A more uh, grueling time. Yet at the same time, Christ is still faithful. He's still there on the throne, right? He's still there on the throne. And if I can see him at the very end and his arms are open wide and he's saying, hang on, hang on. I didn't promise that things were going to be easy. I didn't promise a painless life. As a matter of fact, he promised that it would be difficult. But yet at the same time, his arms are wide open and he's saying, just hang on, trust me. And at the end of all this, per Matthew 25, Jesus' parable, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. There's a song that came on uh, the radio and... um, it's been on for, I don't know, a little while now, but it's called Well Done, and it's by a band called The Afters. And my wife and I listened to this, and it's such a powerful song, and I thought, um, you know, what an incredible reality, what a hope for all of us that we would all hear that, that everybody here and be well beyond, that the church would remain faithful to God through it all. And she said, my wife said, uh, at my funeral, I want this song. And I'm thinking, well, that song hopefully will be 40 or 50 years old by the time we get there. It'll be a hymn, I mean, or something. <laughs> but I want, I want this, this song to be our reality, whether or not it's played at a, a service or not. And I need it to be true for all of us, that we would hang on and be faithful um, 
through the days that are yet to come, and even today, that we would be uh, faithful to him. Can you grab my folder? Uh, The song, Well Done, Good and Faithful One, Welcome to the Place Where You Belong. Well done, well done, my beloved child. You have run the race, and now you're home. Welcome to the place where you belong. Lord, would you pray for us?